What makes you strange on purpose? I think I'm a perfectionist. I don't know anything. I don't know, I'm just me. I'm a little weirdo. I'm just me. My unwillingness to stay stagnant. I can only be like authentically myself. The best way I can answer this question is with describing a picture. It's this guy riding a motorcycle while he's reading a book called How to Ride a Motorcycle. Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. I'm Izzy. Let's get rolling. Honesty hour. I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I'm Izzy and I'm super, super, super excited for my guest today. She is someone that the sneaker community knows and someone that really just like honestly is taking the whole sneaker slash like streetwear slash everything that she works in and is shedding a different light onto it. And it's super, super inspiring. So my guest today is Liz. Liz, thanks for joining me. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that very kind introduction. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I'm i uh, I'm mad excited to have you on. Um, you have been a dream guest for a little bit now, so I'm glad that it actually fits into this amazing guest list that is February right now, and um, just mad excited. So for the people that have been living under a rock that don't know who you are, don't know what you do, do you want to give a little bit of an intro as to who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, this is always like a hard question for me to answer in like a concise way, but I've gotten better at it. So <laughs> I'm Liz. I am a licensed clinical social worker based in New York, and I have my own private practice, which is called Mental Sesh. And at Mental Sesh, I primarily work with pro athletes and creatives doing individual therapy. Um, and then outside of that, we're working really hard to connect the dots between sneakers, sports and mental health all things that I'm really passionate about, but that looks like um, product collaborations, activations. We train a lot of companies internally on how to create mentally healthier workplace environments um, and really just like trying to think outside the box and how to make mental health more down to earth and digestible. That's awesome. That was yeah. a perfect way of answering it, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so basically when we talk about everything that you're building with mental, um, what for the people that like struggle with the whole mental health subject, mm -hmm. who does your company and what you're building, I'm going to call it your brand, who does it serve? It serves really anyone that needs support in any way, shape or form. You know, we definitely do not want to exclude anyone. Um, but really, like when I was building out Mental Sesh, my vision was for people, you know, that are in communities that I'm involved in, whether that's sneakers, basketball, snowboarding, you know, music, whatever. Personally, as a therapist, my experience has been, you know, working along alongside a lot of amazing colleagues. But what I found is that people often use really stuffy clinical jargon and it's kind of a turnoff, you know? And then when you're out with friends and you're talking sneakers, you're talking about the game or the, you know, the finals, whatever's happening, it's really hard to transition that into like this <laughs> clinical discussion on mental health. And what I found to be really helpful is just like 
starting with those conversations and then kind of segueing into like, all right, what's going on, you know, and then taking the clinical terminology that we learn in grad school and reframing those words into more conversational approaches. Um, And that's just how I am as a human, like in sessions with clients, I don't use all those words. I know what they mean, but most people don't know what they mean. And I realize that. So making those conversations just more approachable um, is really what it's all about. And I know, you know, there's a lot of populations out there that are hesitant to approach mental health because, you know, it could be a sign of weakness or it can be, you know, there's a lot of people that are under the impression that if you have a mental health problem, there's something wrong with you. It means you're crazy, you know, and, and we're really trying to like break that stigma, but in a way that is informative, but also not too stuffy and overly clinical. Those who know you know you're like an avid Sixers fan. And when we talk about um, everything that is, or specifically athletes that kind of lead the way in the whole mental health discussion, uh, one that pops up for me was a former Buck and is now with uh, Philly is Tobias Harris. And he's like yeah. definitely not someone that just hides his feelings. I just want to know, like from an athlete's perspective, why do you think that's so needed right now? Yeah. There's a lot of layers to this. Um, And, you know, I think at the end of the day, athletes are human beings. They pay their bills. They make their beds. They do a lot of the same things that we as humans do. But when you're a pro athlete, someone like Toby or someone like, you know, Ben Simmons even, you have this platform that is massive and you reach a lot of people. And as on the other side of that, you have fans that look up to you that, see you as like being a superhero or superhuman but they forget at times that you sometimes have off days you know and you sometimes are dealing with things at home and that's inevitably going to sometimes come on the court with you when you're playing and I think you know I'm really passionate about normalizing the fact that pro athletes are human that they have their own struggles and you know as athletes it's really hard to be able to separate personal life and career you know at the end of the day it's their their job it's what they do and sometimes it's it happens you bring personal things your emotions your feelings all of that into different environments we do that even just as humans with going to our nine-to-five jobs or whatever we do so I think it's that but also you know tying your identity into who you are as an athlete right like there's so many people that only see athletes as athletes but they have so many more interests, so many more hobbies and passions that make them who they are. And, you know, for a lot of athletes, when they get injured or when they decide to retire or, you know, at a collegiate level, if that's the end of their career, like there's this like factor of an identity crisis that happens of like, what the hell am I going to do now that athletics are no longer this like main part of my life. And so, you know, working with athletes too around like what other factors of their lives are they passionate about that, ties into who they are as people first rather than just being known for being an athlete but it's hard you know there's a lot of pressure to be out on the court and to be in a good mental space and just you know sports are physical but there's also a lot of mental components that go into any sport and you know being able to be on the court and be mindful and present in the moment allows you to play better as an athlete but getting to that point to be able to conquer mindfulness and doing that requires a lot of mental training and mental fitness was this always like a dream role 
for you? Like, was this like when you were younger saying, were you saying like, I'm going to help people with their mental health or like, <laughs> when did this kind of open up for you? For me, like when I was young, I wanted to be an orthodontist. I had braces <laughs> like four times. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and, um, please people, if you're listening to this, wear your retainers. I, I learned <laughs> not, but, um, no, it was, you know, I wanted to be an orthodontist. I got to college. I studied biology. I really hated organic chemistry. And from there, that's when I had like this reality check of like, oh, I don't think I want to do this. So took a step back and therapy has been something I've been in um, for various reasons throughout my life. And it really helped me. Um, and, you know, even as an athlete, I dealt with coaches in high school that like just played games, mental games and you know, dealing with anxiety and not knowing what it was and how like certain teammates or certain coaches can like impact that in your life. Um, and then when I got older and it all kind of connected for me, that's also kind of what pushed me into going in to study, you know, to be a therapist. And so, yeah, I, I considered, I studied, I changed my major then to psychology in undergrad. Um, and then when I went to grad school, I was torn either studying sports psychology or social work. And I ended up going the social work route just because I wasn't, I didn't want to be kind of pigeonholed into just one thing if I decided it wasn't for me. But yeah, my dream was to be Cole Hamels' therapist. I don't know if you remember him. He was a pitcher <laughs> yeah. for the Phillies. Um, and I'm also like a big Phillies fan. So yeah, he was like known to have some like difficulty with his mental game. Um, so yeah, that was my dream back in the day. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Gosh, Cole Hamels. There, there's a <laughs> blast from the past. Um, mm -hmm. So when we talk about the sneakers, mm -hmm. did that all, like, where did your love really start with sneakers? And how did, has that like blossomed into like the pictures that we're using for promo um, with <laughs> the closet full of sneakers? Yeah. So that started when I was young. Um, I played basketball since I was about three years old up until college and my career ended after college um and sneakers for me growing up probably up until about high school were really just all about basketball shoes it was like collecting all of the questions that I could all of the answers <laughs> um all of the t-max I'm trying to think like what who else I had a lot of the and ones I had the dada spinners yes. <laughs> um you know it was always just like about having the best game on court but also having the best feet on court as well because for me my I always was someone who like loved style so then when I got in high school one of my really good friends his name's Vinny he is like a one of the OG like SB guys and so he put me on to SBs and I also like skateboarded when I was younger and like would go to skate parks with friends so I was like interested in that because of the tie to skateboarding and um, that's where I started learning more about, you know, other silhouettes outside of the basketball world. <laughs> so then, like, it just kind of transpired from there. And him and I would just, like, we lived in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. So it was either ordering out of East Bay. And at that point, like, it really didn't even exist anymore. Or going to, like, I think it was called, like, Sneaker Kingdom or something like that. A random <laughs> obscure, like, store in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Um and just driving like to, to Philly, to Reading, like to any stores, to like DTL, like Villa and all those stores to just get, you know, sneakers. So that's kind of where it grew. Liz had this amazing, amazing like story behind a Nike sneaker 
that she did and it really really resonated with my fiance actually and uh it was something that that was the first pair of sneakers that aaron came into the room and said like i want these wow and i was like wow this is this is different so when we talk about that where did the inspiration for the design of the sneakers really come from for me like you know i always struggled with this like identity of like being a therapist but then trying to fit in in the sneaker community like streetwear community because you know, a couple years ago, like you'd go online and Hype Bay was kind of posting all these like girls and like really trendy, like high end designer pieces. And, you know, I kind of went down that rabbit hole of like, well, if I want to fit in there, that's what I need to do. But then I'd go to work and I'd have to be like all business ready. You know, I'd be in like in a suit, but I'd still have like sneakers on. Yeah. And so like, I struggled a lot with just like balancing like two different worlds. Um, and then I went, I actually went to, was going to therapy. Most therapists have their own therapist and my therapist, I talked a lot about this with her and, and she was like, you know, you're a therapist and you like sneakers. What's wrong with that? Just because there's not, you know, to, to my knowledge at the time, there wasn't many other therapists out there that I knew who liked sneakers. Um, so she's like, embrace it, own it. And so that's kind of when I did. And that's where the design came from is kind of like merging my two worlds into one. So I chose the color green because that represents the color of mental health awareness. Um, and that's why the shoe is green. I wanted to keep it really minimal. Um, I played off of Drake's um, in my feels. So that's kind of where the name came from. And then, you know, one of the options was to use this like wavy swoosh. And I thought it was really cool. But for me, you know, I want to make sure it ties back to something. And so I was like, well, one of the things I always tell my clients is that healing is not linear and that swoosh was definitely not linear. So that's kind of how that played into it. And yeah, that's really behind the design. So you mentioned something that kind of unlocks something for me, which is a post that you recently did at this time of recording. You being a therapist and being this misfit in a sense in the space, mm -hmm. you just posted something about this cardigan that you were wearing. <laughs> so like when you specifically, when you are going into work every day, I think it's really, really dope because I follow it where you are showing off like, Hey, these are my fits. And then I look at my therapist and they look nothing <laughs> like that. So how are you kind of like perceived from the OGs yeah. in a sense in therapy? Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's, I struggle with that because yeah. I really want to be respected by my colleagues. You know, I respect them so much. They're so talented and they are, you know, so they have so much experience and, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are trained in different modalities that I want to be trained in one day and hopefully like can learn from them. So, you know, it, it matters a lot to me, but I also, you know, have gotten more confident in, just knowing that like who I am as a person and what my intentions are and that like if people are judging me just because of how I'm dressing like they're probably gonna miss out on a lot and not get to know like what else I have to offer mm. so that's kind of like my perspective is that like yeah I, I am different I'm not the stereotypical like therapist but I'm also not a therapist for everyone and, and that's cool. Um, but I am a therapist for a lot of people who respect like what I'm about and, and that those are the people that I want to be a therapist for. So that's kind of where I keep my, my thoughts in that realm. Something that you mentioned before was the fact that you have mental sesh 
And you're doing something a little bit different um, where you, you have these products that tell the story um, and these different collaborations that you're doing most recently, I think with Moleskin at ComplexCon. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? Because from a, th like, again, referring back to my therapist is like my therapist, like I go into this old moldy office and it gets done. Like he does his job, but yeah. like it, it's definitely a new way of thinking. So like, where did the inspiration come from, from that? And essentially like, how is it doing so far? Yeah. I mean, I always knew I wanted to launch, I wanted to have my own private practice. Um, and as I was building this private practice, um, which is actually, I was building it for a couple of years before I even launched. And when I finally got to the point where I had my license, my LCSW license, and I could go into private practice and I did launch it. I was also in the process of like, I had all these other collaborations that came to be. And so I was thinking like, how can I do that in a way? Like, I don't like to be like the face of those collaborations. Like when brands are like, can mm -hmm. you be in the lookbook? Like, I hate that so much. I prefer to be behind the scenes and like doing the consulting work. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm trying to take mental sesh is like, I want to bring more therapists on and have like more of a collective of therapists. And I, you know, I want to build the team out and hopefully get investors one day. And we have like a lot of plans for the future, but it's, it's going really well. We have a lot of awesome activations lined up for this year and, you know, different collaborations and it's exciting. It's exciting. And, you know, we're able to even train companies internally, which I think is awesome because when you look at, you know, mental health right now, a lot of people want to talk about it, but on the external and like make products and stuff. But then when you pull the curtain back there, it's tragic, like what's going on internally mm -hmm. with their employees. So, you know, let's start from within and practice what we preach here. And that's kind of our MO is, you know, making it just fun um, and down to earth. And, you know, there might not be people that benefit from talk therapy and that's okay, but maybe they can still learn something through one of the products we make or through one of the activations that we have. It's crazy. Cause like, since, since I've been following you and since like we connected in general, I, the only reason why I was like, Oh, let me try this was because I was following you. And that's the only reason why I'm still like even going to therapy to this day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I want to get into these these questions. So mm -hmm. anybody that's listening that isn't on Twitter, um, I pose like before really big episodes like Liz or episodes in general. I am I always ask the community for questions for these recordings and everything like that. So I got a ton of questions and I want to hit on a few at the very least. Mm -hmm. So um, specifically, there was one that really hit me that I want to get into first, and it was from Hawk. Um, he asked, "How do you feel?" gatekeeping has impacted the sneaker community as a whole from a mental health standpoint? I love this question so much. Um, I have so much to say. I could be here for an hour, but I'll keep it <laughs> concise. Um, so like I have my phone up. I'm going to read the, the definition of gatekeeping. Okay. Um, it's the activity of controlling and usually limiting general access to something. And, you know, when you think of gatekeeping, the psychology behind it is usually because people are feeling uncomfortable or unsafe. You know, our brains are wired to keep us safe, not to keep us happy. Um, and so, you know, sneakers over the last couple of years have changed drastically. And you see people who, you know, are gatekeeping, who are shutting newcomers out that want to learn, that want to be involved. And, you know, 
it's sad. I'm, I'm not for it. I think, you know, when you talk about something being a community, that means including everyone, even if you don't necessarily agree with like their reason why they want to be a part of it. You know, the soon, the, the more you start to exclude people, that's when it starts to become a click. Mm. And we're not a sneaker click, we're a sneaker community. So we need to be inclusive and, and open and inviting to new people. And oftentimes what happens is just like trends, they come and go. And, you know, the real ones will stay there. And the ones that aren't in it for the right reasons will take themselves out without even feeling the need to. So I think, you know, there's a lot of wasted energy that goes into gatekeeping because eventually those people are going to decide, jump on the next trend and it'll happen. So, you know, I think as leader, like people who are leaders in the space, when I see people doing that, it's, it's sad. And I try to like, you know, mute that kind of stuff because, you know, it's important to educate people to be including and to, you know, unless someone gives you a reason to not mess with them or not fuck with them. But I, I think it's toxic. And I think like what brands need to do, right. And like going back to that psychology behind gatekeeping is like when we feel unsafe for a lot of seeker heads, feeling unsafe means not having access to certain releases, not being able to, you know, have as fair of a chance on certain things. And, you know, that's where I think brands need to step in and be like, Hey, this community is growing. We need to do better for the people who have been here for a really long time. So you just mentioned brands, which is a perfect segue into the next question. Uh, Kari asked, what Mm -hmm. brands do you feel have done a good job integrating mental health into their culture slash products? So this is a brand that's not even like, this is a beauty brand and rare beauty. Selena Gomez's brand. Yes. They've done a phenomenal job. And for the reasons being is that they literally have a mental health board, a committee of people that they work with in all of their initiatives they donate, they've trained their entire company on mental health practices in the workplace. A per- portion of like all their sales goes back to a nonprofit. Um, Selena herself is a huge advocate for mental health and has started not just Rare Beauty, she also started another company called Wondermind that's targeted for mental health as well. Um, so it's really nice to see that company like talking the talk and walking the walk. Um, and including professionals. I'm a big proponent of including licensed professionals, whether it's front facing, whether it's behind the scenes. Um, you know, it becomes a liability when we start taking medical advice or mental health advice, even from people who do not have the expertise or trainings or credentials to do that. Um, you know, and then the question is like, well, who's liable if someone listens to something that a non professional says that you know like an advocate and advocates are great don't get me wrong like mental health advocates are so needed and valued but there's like a distinction between like sharing your story versus like preaching to the masses of what they should and shouldn't do with their mental health Mm. routine um and it can be dangerous if someone is triggered by that or you know it hurts them rather than helps them fun fact Ever since I was little, uh, I used to watch her in Barney and I told my mom that I was going to marry her. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully Aaron's not listening, but like that's been my crush since I was a kid. All right. So it looks like Copham and Rockham is asking. Tara. <laughs> yes. Uh, so she's asking for top advice for freelancers for setting healthy boundaries for clients. I'm yeah. interested on in this one. 
this is a tough one, right? Because boundaries look different for every person. So Mm -hmm. I think it really means taking time to sit with yourself and try and gauge like what boundaries you feel are being crossed, what areas when it comes to working with clients, you're noticing that you're being triggered or getting frustrated or annoyed with. And then zoom like, like kind of like zooming in on those specific things and okay, well, where can I tighten this up a little bit so that I don't get as triggered or irritated when that happens with this client? Um, You know, and that could just be like having, if you're able to do it, having two separate phones, one for work, one for personal life where those things are literally kept separate. Um, Putting your phone on do not disturb for certain people after a certain time, like, and holding yourself accountable for that, not checking emails or replying to emails after a certain time prioritizing yourself and self-care because we cannot pour from an empty cup. And if we are burnt out, we're going to get frustrated easily, more easily. And um, it's going to show through our work. And I know it's a hard balance because as freelancers and working with clients, like that's, there's no like structure sometimes in our schedules, but, you know, just trying to find like what those specific triggers are when with certain clients and it can look different with each client. Um, And then, figuring out ways and what type of boundary you want to set. Cause there's so many different types. There's like, you know, financial, emotional, spiritual, physical list goes on. So yeah. figuring out what would make the most sense for you. If I'm listening to this from an outsider's perspective, uh, there's a lot of people that are possibly tuned in to your journey and like are checking out the, the Instagram and everything like that. How can how can people get involved, support you, support the well, support you, support mental sesh and everything that you're working on? Give mental sesh a follow. If you really want to see my fits, give me a follow. I don't really post uh much of the mental sesh content on my page, but follow both. Um and yeah, if you see something that could be beneficial for you or someone else, share it. You know, the more that we can kind of get the information out to other people and help people learn more about mental health, the better it is for everyone. So I have the burning question last for you. <laughs> oh God, what is it? What makes you strange on purpose? Oh God. Okay. I don't know. What makes <laughs> me strange on purpose? Uh, oh God, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a therapist <laughs> that loves a good fit and I'll show up to sessions wearing whatever the hell I want. There it is. <laughs> I appreciate you jumping on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Strange on Purpose podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes before, please like, review, follow the podcast on Instagram, drop a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you check us out. It helps the podcast grow immensely. So I appreciate you. I could not do this without you. 